Hello and welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast with me, your host, Fabio Molle. Every week I speak to the big hitters in the world of tennis, both on and off the court, about the game and how we can all get 1% better every day at what we do. As an ex-national team player, I know exactly how tough this can be. So I'm on a journey to get the very best tips and advice from the world of tennis. Last week on the Functional Tennis Podcast, I spoke to lead national coach for the USTA on the West Coast, Johnny Parks. In our chat, Johnny explained why playing a young Nikolai Bazlashvili was a bit of a reality check for him. We talk about Johnny's new role in the US setup and what the biggest challenge in his early coaching days was and much more. It was a fascinating conversation, so make sure you go and check it out. This week on the podcast, I chat to coach Olivier Grignard. Olivier is a Belgian coach and was a junior pro. A decade ago, he decided to go to China to begin his coaching role and has since begun a big influence on the Asian game. He actually went there to work with Carlos Rodriguez, who we've had on the podcast, who famously coached Lina and Justin Hennen, and that's where he learned so much tricks of the trade. He's co-founder of Next Champ Academy, which is located in Beijing. He's also head coach of the Leaning Provincial Team. In our conversation, Olivia tells me how his tennis story began. Olivia also tells me about his coaching role in China. We discuss some of the cultural differences between juniors in Europe and juniors in Asia. He tells us what he learned from Carlos Rodriguez and much, much more. Before all that, let's learn a bit about Olivier's background and what he does. Hi, Olivier. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Hi, Fabio. I'm doing good. What about you? Uh, very good. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on and yeah, Thank to learn about your work over in China and the other part of the world and how it compares to Europe and yeah, just how things operate over there really i'm sure they're totally different and people work differently so that's going to be really interesting and yeah who i said we had carlos rodriguez on last year and he did a bit of work there but we didn't talk too much in depth i know you've been there for about 10 12 years is it now indeed yeah so i work with carlos like uh it was my first job actually 11 years ago so uh i worked with carlos for a little short year and then after that i started working for the leoning province team and especially with a tennis player chinese tennis player called lu jiajing who's a former wta 163 and um, yeah and i work also with some uh, juniors player including uh, shu shulin who was number one in the world juniors uh, with who we won the ITF Juniors Master and a few other top juniors players here in China. Yep. Oh, wow. So I actually didn't know you worked with Carlos. I missed that part. I knew he was over there, but I didn't know you worked with him. So that's amazing. So, yeah. And so let's throw it back to the early days. And the first question I want to ask you is, where did tennis start for you? How did you get involved? Before I used to play soccer, and then um, I, I love to play soccer, but in somehow my my mother like prefer tennis, and she kind of pushed me to go for tennis more than soccer. Now I start to to try at the age of uh, twelve years old. I start very late actually, and then. Uh, I start to really enjoy and start from like one hour group class with six kids on the court to play twice a week, three times and more and more. And then, yeah, just start to become professional tennis player at age of uh, 15 years old. Yeah. And do you remember the day where you said, OK, I'm going all in here. I want to be a professional. Yeah. Still, I was like 14, 14 and a half. Um, I say that to, to my mom and father. Well, I have a very supportive mom. So she was say, well, if it's your dream and you want to make a try, you can go ahead. My father got a bit shocked. He was like, well, that, that's something serious. You know, I, it's like 
sure you don't want to study more and everything but um but at the end he supports me a lot and and i've been very fortunate uh, that that my parents pushed me for that yeah yeah i still remember that i was very young i was not good also maybe it was a crazy idea i don't know to be a pro player because as i told you i started to play tennis at age of 12 and suddenly three years after i want to be pro it kind of doesn't make sense but I, i'm always a big dreamer so yeah i just want to make a, a try and then uh, it, it was a nice experience for me yeah did you quit school yeah Indeed. So you went yes. all in. Where, where were you training? I play in Brussels in a club called at that time BATD was the most famous uh, club in, in Belgium actually where a lot of uh, professional um, tennis players practice every day. I was the most bad one of the team but uh, I was like observing and then watching how they, they're doing and then yeah just trying to make it better improve myself every day. Yeah. And what did you do? We're all about being 1% better every day. So now that you mention it, what did you do every day to, how did you improve every day? What's your secret back then? Well, first of all, I think uh, learn and listen from the coach, uh, being very humble. Well, I was very bad when I start. So like it, it was making sense that I should work harder than, than others and, and, and learn better than others to try to reach a, a decent level. So um, just practice harder and try to make it better than, than my my classmate, I will say, my teammate. And then, um, yeah, just try to put all concentration and dedication into into my work. Yeah, that was the most important thing. Yeah. Looking back, do you think you're a bit crazy going full time after three years playing tennis and, you know, dropping everything? Or were you like, that's who you are? You just go all in? But to be honest, um, it sounds like crazy, but also uh, I think um, I did a good choice because uh, I think I make a lot of dreams come true as a, as a, not as a tennis player, but as a coach. You know, I was like a little boy of 12 years old before watching uh, TV, Andre Agassi or Steffi Graf, Jim Courier and Pete Sampras. And I always want to be uh, in those slams and everything. And then like, yeah, I have the chance to make those slams with my my player make qualification at least of uh, of the, those slams like French Open, US Open, whatever. So I make those WTA uh, tournaments already. So yeah, like it's I think it was a, a decent choice, and and I've been very fortunate to to see a lot of uh, people I used to admire and be more close with them, and and, and yeah, I have chance to play for me is a, is a big thing. But play with Steffi Graf in Las Vegas, yeah, just see my name in New York Times as well when when I won the ITF. Juniors master with my player so no i think i'm being very uh, very lucky and i think i make good decisions yeah so who what player your big agassi fan back then who was the player that you tried to emulate andre andre agassi yeah and you met steffi graf was agassi there as well you played steffi graf was agassi there as well i didn't play with andre but i have the chance to meet him because i have a, a mentor who, who gil reese i don't know if you oh, know yeah. the fitness trainer so yes i had the chance to make a, a camp with adidas at that time uh, with my player there in las vegas so i have the chance to talk a lot with andre and also uh, with steffi and we practice with steffi and, and and with gil reese so i have the chance to meet both of them and tell me what did you learn from from being around Steffi Graf, anything that stuck out? I will say hard work, concentration, 
uh, focus on details, humility. Those people are very humble, very, very humble. So uh, it's very impressive to see legend, legendary players as Andre or, or Steffi, even like Gil Reese, who's an amazing coach, to, to see them so kind, so humble. And they see tennis in a different way uh, as maybe other people. So, yeah. And just going back to your days playing when you decided to go pro, what was that kept the fire burning when you decided to go pro and kept going? Was it just you want to play in slams or what was the real dream to play tennis? Play the slams, I, I want to be like top 100 in the world. I was because it's, it's a big meaning for every tennis player. I wish to make those slams be part of the top 100, maybe more. That was some dreams. And looking back at your, your tennis career, what was the biggest challenge you had to overcome? Biggest challenge? I think just trying to make myself better every day and then uh, try to prove to others that I was not that bad. Yeah, okay, I'm the most bad of my team, but I I need to prove others like I can reach that level and become better and stronger and then and, and beat them as well. So, yeah. Okay. So that, that must have added a big, dr- you know, that's a big driving force when you, mm-hmm. know, you just want to constantly improve and beat the people around you. Adds a bit of pressure as well, doesn't it? Because, you know, you, you, pro- you probably got opportunities and you just got to take them when they come. And w- when did you decide then to hang up the rackets? When did you decide, okay, tennis isn't for me? And how did it happen? But it was not it was not that for me. The, I've been unfortunate, so uh, I get an injury to to my forearms, uh, a very serious injury. So um, I just have to stop. So. Um so it was not my decisions, it was my body decisions. And then I just have to stop because that injury at that age of uh, 19 uh, years old. Yeah. And did, did you try and rehab it for like six months a year or did you just say, I just can't play? A very big surgeon in Paris, and uh, but unfortunately was not uh, successful and, and good enough. And I just have to, to stop, yeah. And how, how did you deal with that mentally? Was it tough or did you move on quick from it? No, it was very tough. I was kind of like very sad. Well, I won't say that depressed, but yeah, I was feeling very down. Also, as I told you earlier, I stopped school, so I was kind of lost. What should I do? I don't have uh, any school background, university background. So, uh, and, and for me, I feel very disappointed to not reaching my dream uh, as tennis player. Uh, and mostly, I think the most difficult is it was like to. The fact to accept that uh, I didn't reach my limits. I just want to prove myself. I will. I could go the most far as possible, and I think I have still a, a good margin of progress. And uh, and I couldn't reach that level. My best versions of myself. That was the most frustrated part. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you're only 19. Like you're still. You know, you're still growing. There's still has to mm-hmm. get stronger. And you interestingly say like you try to get. You try to become the best version of yourself, which is you know it's it's a good way to be and just trying to. Right. something every day to right. be that version and so how did you eventually come out of this you say you weren't depressed but you were down how did where did you get the energy back how did you move into coaching what did you do during the the few years before you got serious about coaching well actually um, i just uh, randomly start to to give one hour class or two a class a, a week in a club and then I, I didn't really know what's going on and and for what kind of reason i was oh, okay maybe just go for a try and, like get this opportunity for an hour or two just randomly it, it was not even for making money but just want to just want to see and, and and try and and then uh, i start to feel the fire again and the, the, the passion i was like wow that's cool uh, I, I really enjoy actually to to see people happy at the end of the class feel that i can help people and and you know that satisfactions to see the smile of your of your player at the end of the session and and 
feel that they are grateful to you because you help them it's such such a big uh, feeling and then um, yeah so that's that's how it goes yeah and you you talked about your little competitor you love competing when you started then getting into coaching how did you what part of coaching fueled that fire to compete in you uh winning the tournament <laughs> And and I think more than more than like winning the tournament, I just cannot. I just hate losing. So like you know, I, the, when you you go with your players in tournament, they lose first round, second round, even a quarter final. You, you feel that sad. You feel disappointed, and and I just hate that. You know, <laughs> I just. But I just let me that. jump in here. How do you, like? Okay, you're the coach. Mm-hmm. Is the player the player loses? They're going to be disappointed. But mm-hmm. I, is it your job not to show great disappointment? Like you can't get too into it because you know your job also is to keep them inspired. Mm-hmm. Look next week. So how do you balance your own? Like you're really upset that she lost, so you have to put on a brave face. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm a very introvert person, so uh, and I I just don't like to show too much my emotion to people. So like joy, happiness, or or, or losing. You know, like as a tennis player, you cannot lose. You you cannot like show your your emotion because the more you show your emotion, maybe you 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 open and know what's going on to your mind. So I always thought that you need to hide what's going on. So. Of course, when my player lose, I'm very disappointed, but I don't share too much my emotion, especially after the match. I think it is not very uh, good unless the player is doing something very bad or, or, or play terrible, and then maybe we, we need to speak a little bit, but I still manage, I think, my emotion correctly. And, and then, you know, you, you need to take a little bit, few hours to digest, to figure out, like, why we lose because the point is like yeah you need to think why your player lost but it's we are responsible for also for the loss of a player right so you need to think why your player lost and maybe also consider why like i didn't do the right things or not and and then after you can have a clear uh, understanding of the situation and, and probably give better advice to to win the next round so that that's what i'm thinking okay and what about when you have a player who you know you say they have to show quite a straight face you know emotion it's like poker isn't it really you can't give too much away but there are times where you need to get emotional you know mm-hmm. the right times and do you have players that sometimes aren't emotional enough and how do you how can you make them become a little bit more emotional well some yeah of course sometimes you you get to push them uh i'm not like always quiet on the court you you need to motivate them sometimes you, you get to say hey wake up what's what doing there it's time to 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 change you know you you could also sometime i'm maybe not very good but you, you get to coach a little bit during the match you know and then try to create an emotional reaction so you could help maybe for strategy or just motivating or it depends how hard the, the player feel is you get to feel also the match you need to feel your your players and the game it's very important yeah you mentioned on-court coaching are you for or against on-court coaching well i think most of people are coaching during the match (laughs) it's just not a lie so like it's not a secret right so it's not over coaching but everybody speak Uh, of course we we not truly like play for the player in coaching as we do during the practice but obviously everybody's gonna say something so uh, you you need to let your players think by their own of course they are playing uh, all alone they need to make the right decisions by their own but sometimes a little push is not bad and that's okay I think yeah if you're enjoying this episode I recommend you head back 
back and check out episode 143 with Carlos Rodriguez. Carlos was the former coach of Lina and Justine Ennen, guiding them to Grand Slams. He tells us what he's been up to more recently, working at the Justine Ennen Academy, and what differentiates that academy from other academies, and also how they select players. It's a great episode. I recommend you check it out. You can head over to functionaltennis.com and search for Carlos, and it will come up. You can also check out the show notes, and I'll include the link there. So check out episode 143 with Carlos Rodriguez. I'm going to go back to Belgium. So you're coaching there, you're going well. How did the opportunity come up to move to China? Well, my, my first job in China was with Carlos. So uh, at that time, I have a friend who worked for Carlos. He was the director in Beijing. And then uh, the Carlos and he made the decisions to uh, to hire me. And I just went for the experience and learning something for a very famous and professional um, tennis coach. He made an amazing career with Justin. So uh, yeah, I just took my chance. Was obviously no nothing about uh, money because a lot of people think sometimes in China, China is like spending a lot of money and, and, and like that. But for me, it was not the case. Uh, I, I win at that time much more less than what I won in, in Belgium. But it was like I took that as an opportunity of learning and also move on for the for my professional tennis career. Uh, I want to be an international tennis coach. And I was my first opportunity and I just go for it. Yeah. And you worked with Carlos for a year, correct? Yep. What did you learn from like a Grand Slam winning coach? Well, I, I can see he's a great mentor. So uh, he's very charismatic. So when he come on the court, he have the, this, this attitude, this, this character and, and very uh, precise, I will say, in his coaching skills. So uh, he don't speak too much. He don't speak too less, but he always find the right words and the, the right actions to do to uh, to show to, to his player. And, and that's very amazing. Uh, after he have that experience with Justin Henning, that, that's helped him a lot and you you can learn from that so um, and i have learned some strategy uh key point that he used a lot uh, at the time of justin yeah and were you missing belgium at all after being there for a year where you're like i'm gonna go back was the plan always to come back to belgium or you was just an open plan no uh yeah i mean i miss my my family i, I miss my family missing my country yes and no um but I, I feel just so lucky to have a, a, such a great experience and I, I just want to uh, to improve myself. At that time, I, I couldn't really speak English. My, my English was terrible. So the two, two main reasons I moved was like learning from Carlos and then like, like uh, learning how to coach in English. I just want to go out of my zone in Belgium and just not coaching in France. So, so I was so into my, my job, so into uh, my, my career that I didn't really miss my country. Okay, well, maybe the, the better question there was did you miss your family right just miss my family but also uh, i think i've been very uh, lucky because I, I start with my pro player who was like i mean she was like 900 something wta and then we my first tournament i did with her we we won so first itf pro player uh, pro uh, pro tournaments i will say as a coach uh, i just won right away so i won it was in belgium at that time with that chinese player so i, I win right away that 10 thousand uh, US dollar with her that was amazing and then the week after her and her sister win another tournament and then we went again to another final and and we keep going few few 10,000 and 25 case and we 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 won or reach a lot of final like nine in the row some stuff like that so that I think I've been so lucky and then I, I, I never see the time fly so 
It amazes me Olivier didn't seem to struggle much with the move to China, with the language barriers and cultural differences. But he said something here that's really important and it's something I've noticed across all elite sports people. They love to go outside the comfort zone. They love to challenge themselves and they know ultimately that's where the growth is. If you have that elite mindset, then challenges like a big move, being away from your family are less likely to phase you. Just a quick reminder, you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast, the podcast that helps you get 1% better every day with me, Fabio Molle. Coming up on the podcast, Olivier tells me some of the cultural differences between juniors in Europe and juniors in Asia. And Olivier shares some coaching tips he's learned from his experiences in China. But first, I wanted to ask Olivier about the potential language barrier he encountered in Asia. So, you know, you're in China, you're working with Carlos, you want to learn, you know, you're working with a mentor, he's going to teach you how to be a great coach. You say you want to use English coaching, you want to use English, but you also have the local language there. Mm-hmm. So did you learn, is it is it Chinese, Mandarin? How did you pick up those skills? How did you balance all that? Well, that that's where I feel the most shame and then the, the, the most uh, not comfortable about it. After so many years, I don't speak uh, Chinese at all. Yeah, I, I know a few words. I know a few, few sentences, you know, make myself understanding for a few things. I do understand a lot of things, but my Mandarin is just terrible. So that's, yeah. Okay. Well, you can still, there's still time to work on that. Uh, right. But I, I'm very dedicated to my work. So like, you know, like you, you work very hard with your player and then you days are very long and when you give 100 percent you you arrive back home you you don't really have sometimes the energy to learn something else you just want to chill relax not thinking too much and yeah and does your environment you are the you're the head coach of your province what's your province name i can't, pro- can't uh, pronounce yeah, it province okay and like china's made up of all these provinces and each one has their head coach so you're the head coach there are you not interacting with a lot of i don't know parents with some other types of people where the interaction is in local language or it's all english no so when the players play in province they uh, they are in the sports center so the parents not really allowed to come to see the practice so only your leader and then the staff and and that's it so no really issue with that so yeah what's the the cultural differences between juniors let's say and even pro players their mentality and the cultural differences from training in europe and training in china what are the main differences i think you you can be you have to be more uh, directive i will say so you need to to go more straight to the point and, and tell them really to execute so there is a big things sometimes you know like chinese uh, citizens are super good at executing things and and uh, they they like to receive kind of like order and you need to let them know okay today that 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 so have to be very clear and, and strict and and executing in europe you cannot be so directive uh, <laughs> you you need to go a little bit more smooth. Let them learning from the mistakes. But here you you cannot doing it that way. It, it's not working. So you 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 got to I think be more pushy, uh, more direct, and yeah, and work harder. Also, sometimes I think uh, in China, if you if you don't uh, work more hard than the others, it, it's not a good thing. So uh, yeah. Do the the Chinese players work harder than Europeans, the juniors from your experience? In China, they, I think, work hard. They, they work hard in different ways. They work very long time, very hard. But 
maybe not sometimes focus on the right point and, 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 and maybe sometimes not enough quality. So they can spend many hours to serve, but they are not serving in the right way. So sometimes it could like you can learn the wrong things. So, yeah. No, that was what I was thinking. I was like, look, we can all work hard, but mm. how do you work hard and smart and to maximize because right. if you're not work, if you're out there hitting hundreds of serves doing the wrong thing, thousands of serves, you're only gonna pick up an injury. That's, right. that's like hard and stupid. Like you, this is the the biggest struggle here. Sometimes with your pa- with your player, also dealing with parents or leader. You know, tennis is still a new sport here, so you they they still don't have this experience as we have in, in Europe, and you need to explain them like to change and sometimes slow down or maybe practice less but more concentrate. So uh, they they not sometimes really understand so you need to to fight for that but they're always uh if you show them you make result that at the end of the day it is still very good so yeah so how do you convince them to you know don't overtrain or if you are going to train a lot it's got to be really smart apart mm. from i know the results come in the future but how do you convince them that look we got to change it up here a little bit you're spending too much time on court doing the wrong thing i think you you first you need to show you 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 won't help them that you need to build up that that trust with you with, with people here so the china is a very competitive country so we we have billions of people here and you 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 need to build up that trust you need to show them you you want them to being good so i think the the best way is show you you work hard you you are dynamic you you push them they, they want to feel you are behind them and and when i always think when you push and then you 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 help and you do the right thing sooner or later you're gonna have result then the trust build up then you can ask them to to change things yeah if you do that in europe you're doing the complete opposite aren't you you're like yeah. the parents are phoning you stop pushing my kids so hard blah, it, blah, blah. it's challenging because i see after 11 years so many top level coach and so many foreigners coach here they, they cannot stay very long time here in china because they did not adjust themselves to the chinese culture and yes uh, uh, they are. They they think the the right things. They, the point they see clear, but they cannot adjust themselves to to the Chinese market, and that creates some conflict sometimes. Yes. And what advice do you have so far? Okay, you've been working in China for so long, working with these players. What advice do you have for coaches in Europe that could make them a better coach based on what you've learned in China? First of all, I think go out of the comfortable zone. Don't think as you know uh, everything. And don't think like we are foreigners, we know more tennis than others. It's kind of like you need to reset yourself and just that as a blank page. So don't come here in China to push people like to do right the way what you, you think is right. So you need to uh, being very, I will say, humble. I, I think it's very important to try to understand very quick Chinese culture, try to understand local people. Don't think because we know something they should adjust themselves to you you should you should integrate yourself to the society and then after make people understanding how to change yeah. i think what i've learned in china don't think you are good because there is always someone more good than you here because too many people so don't take for granted the the the, the results always think you might have someone like do better than you and you you need to keep pushing yourself every day competition we know for tennis players is important getting the mix between tennis training and competing. You got to get the balance right. How do you ensure your athletes are getting enough competition? That's the biggest problem here. Uh, you, if you speak about 
China. They, they don't make enough, I think, uh, local tournaments, especially for the kids. Like I will say, until uh, 18 years old, they, they, they don't compete enough. They should compete more. So here there is a struggle. I think the best way for a Chinese player, they need to go overseas to compete the most as possible. Because here for Chinese players, they tend to be very uh, in the comfortable zone here. So everything is nice and smooth sometimes and, and very well managed like tournaments and, and like infrastructure and, and, and coaching in their province. Everything is safe and comfortable. They need to compete more overseas. You mentioned earlier about, you know, you try to be the best version of yourself every day, which is amazing. How do you instill those values in your players? That's a very good question. <laughs> That's a very good question. I think it's all about like when you enjoy com- competitions, right? So w- once you start to lose, you are winning. You 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 can spread the message. You you can like like say to your player what what you want them to to achieve if they really want to uh, improve and and getting uh, better. I think yeah, because because competitions. Yeah. Well, maybe the next the question I should ask also is how do you make them accountable? So you you need to 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 reflect the the the, the message that you want to spread. So for example, like if I'm not coming motivated on the court, if uh, if I'm coming late, if I'm not professional or, or just not showing how much I want to be good with my player, I, I don't think your your player also gonna be motivated. So very random example: if I come late for 20 minutes every day, at the end of the the, the journey, your player also gonna be late and and. And he's going to reflect your, your own uh, personality, of course. So uh, you, you just need to lead as an example. I think it's very important. It, it's not all about forehand technique. It's about building these life values. Indeed, life value, but also it's a matter about, I guess, techniques and tactics and, and, and mindset. You, you, it's more than that. So it's a I know, to me. And ultimately winning. <laughs> It all comes down to win. If you're not winning at the end of, you know, you give it so much time. I find the right way still to be successful because, yeah, the highest ranking I've reached with my player is 163. So I still think maybe I do some mistakes and I should learn more and and, and maybe change something. Yeah. How do you assess your own your own coaching career? You say the highest player 163. You know, how do you say, okay, I want to get the next player. We want to do some stuff to get you to top 100. And you know, you're part of that journey as well. So you have to improve or change things up. How do you reflect on that? And how do you learn to change things up? Right. I I figure out through the years at the end, well, first you need to learn, like have, I think, a very good uh, coaching education. I've been very fortunate in Belgium. We have a very good coaching system. So I think I have those very good fundamental about like methodology and, and, and biomechanics. So uh, I've been quite good. So I, I've been lucky to learn in, in the right way because the national team of Belgium make a very good job. And then uh, two, I think you learn from your experience. Obviously, you, you travel, you win, you lose. You learn from your from your loss and, and your win. So that that's another thing. And last things, I think, Surround yourself with the the right people. Try to learn from everyone. I, I think you you can learn from a very beginner coach, but also step by step, more you want to go high. I think it's important to surround yourself with a with very good coach and, and at least communicate time to time with them. And and if you have some question, just don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to be an idiot and, and just ask whatever you can ask to learn and getting better. Yeah. Too often we're afraid to be the idiot asking that stupid question that other people are thinking as well. You're not the only one thinking. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And what is they say? We're the average of the Best five thing. people we most surround ourselves with. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, and the, also time we are very shy I, I realize that like at the first we we see all those great coach or great player and, and we think they are so uh, amazing so we we shy to make a step further to them but actually the more they are successful i think the the more they are humble the more they understand your your journey and and they are willing to help so uh, they are very generous like uh for example I still remember when I talked with uh, Sasha, the the coach of uh, um, Pliskova and, and mm. Serena, or Zaka. I mean, I was feel very shy. I knew who, who he was, but then we have a, a dinner at WTA, and he was super friendly and very enthusiastic, and he shared a lot of things. Same for Gil Rees. He, he's amazing, and, and they are so so kind, so so generous. Yeah, Yeah. well, we did have Sasha Bajan on the podcast, so if any of our listeners can can look through the archives that it was about it was under a year ago we had him on great episode so really interesting chap and it's, it's worth a listen and like i we talk about being your best version of yourself every day and we're all about being one percent better every day what advice do you have for coaches and tennis players you may have a different answer for both of them to be one percent better every day I think never take for granted the 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 fact you 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 make progress. Always trying to to looking for for improve something. That I think is it's very important and and try to stay humble, keep learning. That's very important. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> no, true. And quickly, I skipped over. I should have. But today you set up your own academy, your own tennis coaching structure. Tell us more about that. What exactly have you set up? Yes. Yeah, so we we have with my. With my partners, we have like a three little tennis uh, school. So we open three little schools here in, in Beijing. We start very small business and it's growing a little bit more every day. Uh, just a simple idea. We just want to share our experience to every kind of uh, of a tennis level from a beginner, amateur, some uh, professional as well. We have every kind of program, but we just want to try to share our experience in, uh, and way of teaching to, to everyone. It's great having you on, Olivier. Uh, thank you very much and best of luck in your continued su- success in China. Thank you so much, Fabio. It was a pleasure to, to talk with you today. Thank you so much. That's the end of the show for today. I think a lot of coaches will listen to today's episode and see the value of challenging themselves in Asia, which will only make the European and global game stronger. So thank you so much, Olivier, for coming on the show. And thank you all for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. Just a few quick notes before we go. Make sure to follow the show so you get automatically notified about new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about me or the work we do at Functional Tennis, visit our website at functionaltennis.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at the Functional Tennis Podcast and with me on Twitter, Fab Mall. This podcast is produced by One Fine Play. James Bishop is the executive producer. Connor Foley is the series producer. I've been your host, Fabio Molle. Thanks for listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. <laughs>